Hello, it's Elizabeth Emery, host of Hear Her Sports. Before we get started, I'd like to say how much I love pockets. Women need pockets, including women runners. Whether we're out for a short or a long run or out in our regular life, we need pockets. That's exactly why Wazelle designed the pocket jogger tights. They have seven pockets total, including a rear zip pocket, two large side pockets, and mesh pockets at the waist. You can easily store everything you'll need on any run. I love the pocket joggers in all the links, full length tights, three quarters, knickers, and the shorts. They're all just perfect for carrying my house key and for stashing a headband or hat when I get too hot because I always get too hot on runs. Plus, they are super comfortable and made of really nice, soft, compressive, and moisture-wicking fabric. Wazelle's pocket joggers are long-lasting and fit great like all the Wazelle products, so you can head out confidently on your runs or whenever you go out. Find the pocket jogger tights at wazelle.com. That's O-I-S-E-L-L-E.com. Or click the banner link at the top of the Hear Her Sports website at hearhersports.com. Greetings. Welcome back to another episode of Hear Her Sports, a female athlete podcast for all things female athlete. I am your host, Elizabeth Emery. Each episode shares a conversation I've had with an absolutely amazing female athlete or woman in sport. We always cover so much ground from training, nutrition, and psychology to science, research, mental health, and coaching. Thank you for being here, for listening to the show. We have a great one today with an athlete in the middle of her off-season. It's a time in the cycle of training that I always love. My guest today is Canadian Olympic cross-country skier, Catherine Stewart-Jones. She was born and raised in Chelsea, Quebec, in the heart of Gatineau Park. It was there that she started skiing with her family just as soon as she could walk. Although she did begin competing at local events when she was five, she was an all-around active kid. Like lots of Hear Her Sports guests, growing up she did a wide range of sports including soccer, sailing, kayaking, canoeing, and downhill skiing. During that time, sports were mostly about spending time outdoors and with her family. It was in high school when she joined a sports program that allowed her to juggle a full schedule of training and racing with schooling that Catherine decided to pursue skiing more seriously. Now as one of the older members of the Canadian national team and one of the few women racing for Canada at the World Cup level, it has become of primary importance to Catherine to be a role model for the younger female athletes on the team. She also spreads her love for all sports and the outdoors through classroom champions and fast and female. With those two programs and with her Canadian teammates, she aims to empower women to take control of their own success and to dream big. In the episode, we talk about those mentoring programs, how she collaborates with coaches, what it means to take on that responsibility as well as her success, quality training over quantity, looking at data, fear of losing fitness, and what she's been working on during the off-season. Since it is her off-season, we talk a lot about how she's been spending the time resting and preparing to build on the incredible success she had last year during a breakthrough season when Catherine raced to her first ever top 10 result and many top 20s. She also finished 20th overall in the World Cup distance ranking. These are fantastic results. As I said to Catherine, off-season for any sport is an interesting time period both mentally and physically. Because she's right in that mode of reflecting on the past while also looking forward, she was able to offer up some great insights about her recent success and a recent change in outlook about competing. It was a privilege to talk to Catherine in the off-season and get a look at her mindset during this time of year. So let's get to it. Ready. <laughs> cool. Well, it, you know, it's really great to have you here. I, I'm, I'm very appreciative that you taking the time. I know that you're in off-season, which I want to talk about. So that's great. Yeah, no, I'm excited to be here. Uh, you know, it's a little weird to have you here because... I am in my little attic studio and it's about a million degrees and you're a skier, you know, loving snow. It just seems very like out of touch with what your sport is. Yeah, well, it's pretty cold here in Canmore today, so I guess that's fitting for me. Oh, good, good. Well, you know, one of the things I do want to talk about is 
actually the off season because you are in off season and it's always such an important time of the year. I think, you know, like that time of year is often undervalued. And I'm just curious, you know, like, what have you been doing? How did the end of your season end up for you? And, you know, like, basically, then what happened? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. Some people ask me, so what do you do in the summer? And <laughs> they don't understand that that's when we do the majority of our training. So yeah, I guess after the season ended in late March, I took a bit of time off. Um, I actually went on vacation to Mexico, which was really awesome. I needed a bit of a mental and physical break, something I hadn't done for too many years. So that was really good. And then I've been back into it uh, since the beginning of May, full-time training. And yeah, it'll continue like that until November. And that's when I get back into racing. Cool. Uh, Tell me about the break. And you mentioned that you don't often take breaks. You know, like, did you not do anything? Like, what what was that like? And was it easy for you? Um, I didn't not do anything, but it's probably the most I've rested in a long time. So when I was in Mexico, I did a couple of runs. Um, I was there with a couple of friends and it was more of like, oh, let's go for a run and we can look around and visit um, while running. And also just feels good to exercise. But I think I still ended up doing 30 hours or so in in uh, the off season. But that's very little compared to some of the years I've, I've done before. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's then go to what your training is like during this off season time. I know that you've had a couple of camps, so maybe describe that and yeah, let's let's start with the camps. Yeah, so so far we had a national team camp based here in Canmore. Um so I live in Canmore, so I didn't have to actually travel anywhere. And it was a bit of a testing camp, so we did some physiological tests um on the roller ski treadmill. And then also just some other basic health test and whatnot, and just to have a base uh, for the rest of the season. And so, yeah, I got to train with the other people on the national team. There's three teams. There's the gold team, silver team, and development team. Um, So, yeah, I got to meet a lot of the younger athletes that are on the development team this year, which was really cool. And then more recently, I actually just came back from France I was there for two weeks training um, with some of the national team, but then also with the French national team. And we got to ski on snow. There's a glacier up there near Tsing, France. And yeah, the glacier there is beautiful. I was really impressed with the the quality of the training there. And um, we got to ski, roller ski up some of the passes that the Tour de France does, which was also really cool. Oh, wow. And we got to see some of the pro teams around there. And yeah, overall, it was just a really high quality fun camp. So that's kind of what I've been up to so far this season. How did you connect with the French national team? Uh, Well, so so I know some of the people on my team last year did a training camp with them. So they already had a bit of a connection. And then I met some of the girls this winter racing on the World Cup. We, you kind of get to know the people that you race against um, when you're on the road all, all winter. Sure. And is it just the female team or is it both male and female? Uh, yeah, both teams were out there, but uh, they actually kind of separate them a bit more than they do in Canada. So they don't do the same thing on the same days, et cetera. But yeah, so I, I was training with the women's team and then the men got to train with the men's team. And what's the vibe like at, at each of those camps? I think the the one in Canmore is definitely like a lot of excitement because there's so many um, new people coming to the national team and they're just excited to be there. And there's, you know, you get your new gear and all that. And especially for those younger athletes, it's a big, it's a big deal. And it's also just the start of the ski season. So everyone has a lot of energy. And then in France, I mean, it was, it was really fun, but also really hard training. The group that I was with is really awesome. I love, I love those people like training with them is so much fun. And yeah, and we are all staying in an apartment together and just training twice a day, every day. Um, and honestly, not doing that much else because we didn't have that much energy. But um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. What kind of training are you doing up there? So we were training on the glacier, skiing most mornings. And then in the afternoon, we would either roller ski or run or sometimes go to the gym. 
So a mixture. What's it like to ski on a glacier? Uh, well, it's really open. And so it's super sunny, especially in June, it can get pretty warm. So when you get up there in the morning, it's usually pretty icy if it froze overnight, and then it kind of gets softer and softer. But um, yeah, like it's generally pretty flat because it's you're doing kind of switchbacks on the glacier. But it's really good for just working on technique, especially in the middle of the summer. You don't usually have the opportunity to do on snow skiing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that the glacier was icy. I'm always wondering, you know, like when I watch the cross-country ski races on TV, like what the actual conditions are and, you know, like how I could relate to them. Like, are are they like what I experience if I go skiing at my local ski place? Um. Yeah. I mean, there's just such a mixture of conditions, but actually on the glacier in the mornings, we would take a gondola up. Um, well, it's more of like an underground gondola. So Anyways, you get to the top and then you have to ski down a downhill ski run to get to the glacier. Oh, wow. And on some of those mornings when you're on skinny skis with no edges and it's pretty icy, it's it's kind of scary. But yeah, like definitely more icy than a lot of the time just because it's so sunny and so open um, for the first bit. But then after that, I would say like the conditions are pretty pretty comparable to sort of spring skiing, I guess, in anywhere you go uh, in Canada or the States. Yeah. You also mentioned that you go to the gym, that you were at the gym when you were at your training camps. Like what kind of stuff are you doing there? Yeah. So I usually go to the gym twice a week and a lot of it is pretty simple stuff. Like if I'm, my basic lifts are just pull-ups and a lot of one-legged things just for working on balance. And then um, quite a bit of core. That's definitely a focus. And so, yeah, it's a bit of everything, but I, it's not, I don't usually spend too much in the, time in the gym with warm up and gym. I can probably be out in, you know, an hour and 15 minutes. So one of the things that off season is really good for is sort of like thinking about the next season and sort of working on training plans. Is that something that you do? Yeah, definitely. I've been way more involved in my own training planning the last uh, four years or so. And so, yeah, in April, I sit down and I think about my last season and I keep up a lot of data from my training from the previous season. So I can just look at that and see, uh, you know, if I was missing anything or what I feel like I, I could work on, et cetera. And then I meet with my coach and we come up with a plan and we we basically work around what the training camp plan is for the summer because that's kind of set and then we can work around those days and figure out kind of when to do big blocks of training etc and then yeah mm-hmm. so but then uh, there's so much modification that I do through the season it's really general what I decide in the spring and then through the season every week I'm modifying and talking to my coach and all that depending on how you're feeling yeah depending on how i'm feeling what uh, whatever else is going on in my life and yeah just those details right right uh, you said you collect a lot of data like what kind of data uh well i so i'm on training peaks right. um which is just a program where actually with my watch my workouts just automatically download to training peaks so then all of my workouts are on this calendar but then also I can, within that, I can plan my training for the week. I can just enter it and then it'll tell me, you know, completed versus planned. And then also every month I have a document where I just fill out the time I spent in each mode of training. So like classic roller skating, skate roller skating, running, and then the amount of time I spent doing intensity threshold versus like race pace type intervals. And all of that. So yeah, it's pretty detailed. So when you go back and you look at the the past year, like how are you analyzing all that information and what are you looking for? And, you know, like how are you thinking about planning for the next year? Yeah, I think mostly what I do is I'll look at my race season and see where maybe I wasn't performing quite as well um, compared to other periods or where I was performing really well and trying to see how the training that season may have affected that. So like, for example, this year I was not um, racing as well in 
kind of in February after Christmas. And looking at that, it's like, oh, I, I ended up getting quite sick in the middle of the summer. And then maybe I didn't train quite as much as I should have in November, things like that. Um, obviously, a lot of it is speculative, um, but it's still interesting to look at. Or even just looking back and thinking, oh, maybe my skate sprinting wasn't quite as good as I wanted it to be. How much training did I really do that, you know, is specific towards that? Mm. And like, should I put in more of that? And how much is that going to take away from the other things I do? Yeah. So it's a bit of a puzzle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What are you going to be working on this year or this summer? Um, I really actually want to work a bit more on my climbing. I've always been a good uh, uphill skier, but I focused a lot more on my flat skiing just because that was more of a weakness. And then I think that I've worked so much on that that maybe I haven't been working enough on (laughs) what used to be my strength. So yeah, a bit more of that. And then I also want to work a bit more on my high speed and just being comfortable at high speeds because I'm I'm more of a distance skier in general, but um, I'd like to be able to be better at sprinting too. Uh, you said that you wanted to be more comfortable at high speeds. What happens at high speed? I mean, like you're scared or you slow yourself down? Like what happens when it's at high speed? No, it's not like I love downhills. That's not the problem. It's more just by comfortable. I mean, more just technically, uh, because the faster you're going, I mean, the harder it is to keep your technique together. And so, yeah, just the more time you spend doing high speed stuff, the better you can get technically and the more efficient. Cross country skiing is so technical. It just, it, it always surprises me, that, you know, like that you as a professional are still thinking about technique and working on technique. I mean, it's awesome. Oh yeah, it's definitely, uh, it'll always be a work in progress. You mentioned in your bio that you prefer quality over quantity in terms of training. So I have two questions about that. One is, are you good at rest? And like, what do you actually mean about quantity and quality? Yeah, I would just say that I think I always have valued, say in a week, if I'm planning my training, I'll plan things around the intensity because really at the end of the day, we're training to race. And so the most important sessions are intensity and we don't do that many. The most of our training is volume, but you want those sessions to be as high quality as possible because it's what resembles what you're doing most. And yeah, I would say resting, I'm okay good at. I think that uh, if I've rested a bit and I'm still tired, I have a hard time telling myself to continue resting. I just get antsy and I want to get back into it. But yeah, I think that it's hard for any high level athlete because you're always worried about starting to lose fitness. And so you have to find the balance between resting enough and not resting too much. Um, And that's, yeah, I think something you just learn to do over time after maybe getting into training too quickly and then getting too tired and realizing you're supposed to rest more. And yeah, it just comes from experience. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. How long does it take you to sort of get to this point? I mean, I think that I'm still working on it, but in a lot, I I think it is important to push it a bit sometimes or else you'll never really know how hard you can push yourself. And yeah, I think that I, I definitely as a younger skier was not pushing my training that much. And um, I've done it a little later in my career compared to a lot of people. At the same time, I think I really did learn to train like with purpose and quality before I started really putting in a lot of hours. How many hours are you training a week? Uh, A week, it really depends because of the like what I'm doing that week. But I train about 800 hours a year. And so in the summer, it's between 75 and 90 hours a month. That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. And so, okay, so we're, again, we're in the summer and, you know, you got to train on the glacier in France, but now you're back in Canada and there's not snow, I'm assuming. So what kind of stuff are you doing to sort of keep on top of form and, keep working on technique and things like that? Uh, yeah, I do a lot of roller skiing. Um, I would say the majority of my training is roller skiing, but I also make sure to do other fun things. I got into mountain biking recently, 
Uh, so I really enjoy that kind of as a different activity. And then, yeah, still lots of running. I think running is one of the best ways to increase your fitness. So I always try to do that quite a bit. And yeah, in terms of intensity, uh, I'll be using the roller ski treadmill now that I'm back in Canmore. Um, it's just really good for technique work. And also you can set it at a speed and, um, or at an incline that you want. And so if you can't find hilly enough terrain, you can use the treadmill. So it's good for that type of thing. I've never seen the, I mean, I've seen those in videos, but I've never actually been next to one of those treadmills. How does that work? How, like, it seems, I don't know, daunting. Um, yeah. So we actually have a skate roller ski treadmill and a classic roller ski treadmill in Canmore. And so the skate one's much wider than the classic one because you just take up a lot more space. And that one actually is kind of, it goes into the ground. Um, so when it inclines, it like pops out of the ground. Whereas the classic one kind of looks more like a running treadmill. And yeah, so it's not actually in the ground and it takes up a lot less space. Did you have to learn how to use it or is it easy? Like, yeah. It's a bit scary at first um, because you're it's just, if you fall, you know, you can go off the treadmill. I mean, they, they can stop it pretty quick, but even then, if it stops quickly, it also kind of hurts. That's happened to me. And you just, you hit the ground pretty, pretty, pretty quickly. But um, yeah, but we also use a harness for safety. Sure. So, but yeah, I mean, I definitely, at first it was a bit scary, but I'm so used to it that uh, yeah, it's really not, not an issue. Sure. So you have a coach and you said that you're sort of working collaboratively with that person. How did that come about? And how did you like, I don't know, how did you learn how to sort of work with a coach in a way that that's been successful for you? I moved to Canmore four years ago and I started working with a different coach who was the national team coach at the time. His name was Eric Bratton and he's a Norwegian guy. And that was kind of his approach to training was to be more collaborative and work together. And so he taught me a lot of the basics when it comes to training. And um, yeah, when I started working with him, he definitely gave me a lot more input just because I was starting off. But um, yeah, I worked with him for a couple of years and then he left the program and I worked with a different Norwegian coach named, her name is Julia. And uh, I worked with her for a year and then she moved back to Norway and now I'm working with another Norwegian coach, Tormod. And I think that they all have pretty similar philosophies when it comes to training. So thankfully the transition hasn't been too crazy. And also I feel that I've benefited from the knowledge of a bunch of different coaches, um, which has been super cool. And yeah, I think it's been a great way to, to learn more about myself too. One of the things that I like about having a coach is, you know, like you could sort of pass all the responsibility onto them and, you know, you take care of it and I don't have to think about anything. You know, obviously as a, as a collaborator, you're taking some of that responsibility back. Yeah. And I think I really, I really enjoy that because it's cool to have ownership over my own success and feel that, you know, I have a say in, you know, how I want to, how I want to get better, because I really think that at the end of the day, I know myself best as much as my coaches are watching and me race and all that, they can't necessarily know what I need to work on. And they, that's the thing about collaboration is that we get to work together. And so if there's something I want to work on, they, we can bounce ideas off of each other. You know, he can suggest a workout and then if I'm not super satisfied with it, we can modify it and until we feel that we have something that will work. So I think that's been really cool. And yeah, I like having that responsibility. And at the end of the day, I, I have a lot of trust for my coach and he can tell me, he'll tell me if he doesn't think something's a good idea or will suggest something else. And so, yeah, I, I think I still have someone that I trust will um, make good calls at the end of the day. It's always interesting to, to me that, you know, like on one hand, you know, like training seems so simple, you know, like you're doing your intervals, you're getting your rest, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, like it gets complicated 
as you were saying, you know, because you're racing and you get sick and this and that. I mean, it's an interesting process to learn how to sort of analyze. Yeah, I definitely think it can be complicated. And I think I've I've been in the situation where I've been overanalyzing, but more recently I've had a bit more of a simple approach to it. I used to stress a, a lot about things like, oh, when should I put my strike training? Um, when does it fit best with intensity? This and that, and like really stressing about those things. But also the more training I've put in, the more I've realized that a lot of it is about just putting in the work and then making sure that the really important workouts are good quality. And outside of that, there's not much of a reason to stress. And yeah, that was kind of the approach I came in with last year. And it seems to have paid off. Yeah, you had a really good year. I just spoke with another Canadian Olympic athlete and we talked a lot about the process versus focusing on results. You know, like what is your take on those two things? And, you know, like, are you a good competitor? You know, like, do you get stressed out or how do you deal with that aspect of, of being a professional athlete? Yeah, I definitely get stressed out, but um, I think that's pretty normal when you have dedicated so much of your time to something. But I also feel that my approach has changed quite a bit in the last year or so and that's also really showed in my results I think before when I was racing internationally I was really nervous about meeting certain standards results wise because I knew that there was a lot riding on it just in terms of funding and all those things and I think that racing for those things really made me more stressed and I guess I was racing with the mindset of not failing rather than the mindset of just seeing like how good I can do. And yeah, last season, my focus was a lot more on just the opportunity and the excitement of pushing myself to my limits and seeing how far I can go. And it's been a lot more fun and also, um, yeah, has just ended up meaning that I've had better results too. What are your goals long-term and, you know, also for next season? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, after the last Olympics, I was not sure how long I wanted to ski for just because that can be that process of prepping for the Olympics, going to the Olympics is pretty exhausting. But uh, after having a really great season last year, I'm definitely motivated to continue a little longer. And I have definitely have a lot of goals that are not about the Olympics. The Olympics are awesome and everything, but there's so many other races in the season for skiers. So yeah, being on a World Cup podium was is definitely a goal of mine that I'd like to achieve throughout my career. And then, yeah, this season, uh, I just want to improve my overall standing on World Cup. Like last year, I was able to finish top 20 in the distance overall, and I'd like to do better in just the general overall this year. Explain to me the distance. So is that anything above the sprint races? Yeah. So distance racing is, yeah, exactly. Anything that's not a sprint. So sprints are um, usually under 1.4K and then distance races on World Cup are 10K and up. Yeah. Did you do the 50K, the new 50K race this past year? Yeah, I did. I got to race the first ever um, women's 50K at Home and Colon, which was a really awesome event. And I'm excited to do some more of them. Yeah. Are you good at that distance? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Like anything over 10K is good for me. What was it like? I don't know. It just seemed like such an exciting event because it was so new and it was so long. And was it as exciting to be one of the racers as it was to watch? Yeah, it was pretty cool. There was there were some massive crowds. Home and Colon is crazy. Kind of the Super Bowl <laughs> of cross-country skiing. And yeah. so it's in Oslo, which is you know, Norway is the country for cross-country skiing. Yeah, there's um, huge crowds, really loud. And yeah, obviously it being the first ever 50K for women was also was really cool. And for it to be at the biggest event of the year was really exciting. Are they planning more of those? Yeah, so anytime that the men are going to be racing 50, the women will be too. So oh, wow. this year at Home and Colon, and then I'm actually not sure if there's any other one this year. Okay. That's great. That's great. You mentioned being 
at the national team camp with a bunch of younger skiers. Like what is the situation now for Canada with younger skiers and younger female skiers in particular? Like how is that, you know, like how are they coming up and is it a great supporting system? Yeah. Like it's interesting this year. I am definitely uh, the oldest on the team, I think by five years, which is crazy because I'm not actually that old in the world of cross country skiing, but a lot of my teammates are no longer skiing and or just not on in the national team system. But this year and last year actually they've Nordic Canada, which is our, our organization, they ha they decided to have a development team. So that's basically anyone who's um, under U23, which has been really cool because that's not something that I had when I was younger. So I think I'm hoping that it'll help bring up some more women in the sport. Yeah, definitely. There's been a lack of older female skiers in the sport compared to men. So I'm hoping that this will help keep people in the sport. And yeah, it's definitely something that I'm passionate about is keeping women in the sport, because I really do think that in Canada, we can do some great things. And, but it, it really does start from keeping people interested in the sport and wanting to be involved and race. So, yeah. Will Canada support the older athletes? Um, yeah, well, generally it's, it's, it gets way tougher when you get older to meet the standards, um, which I mean, in a lot of ways makes sense. I, I would say that there were a couple of years where the standards were not, um, I would say we're not really realistic for what Canada was doing at the time. And so there was a year where I didn't actually make the national team. And anyways, I was able to get on after all with an appeal, but it was the year where I'd actually made some huge improvements. So that was really tough. And I saw some of my teammates get kicked off, but they have definitely done a way better job in the last couple of years of retaining athletes. And, and even through my career, throughout my career, like I've had some ups and downs, especially as an under 23 athlete, which is very common, especially for females to go through that. And luckily my support was continued. So, um, and honestly, without that, I think it would have been really difficult. So yeah, I, I hope that the women that are involved in skiing now also get, uh, get to be supported throughout their career. I mean, the reality is, is internationally anyway, there are like the top skiers are in their late 20s 30s yeah no especially this year actually is pretty interesting to watch the Norwegian women's team because last year there was a lot of talk about how they're washed up and no one's doing as well as they used to be because Norway is such a powerhouse but then this year there were two or three women that are in their early 30s to mid 30s that started crushing it and getting podiums on world cup, world champs, et cetera. So that was so cool to see. Um, and also I think a lot of people were just very surprised, but I also think that those athletes maybe hadn't had opportunities in the past um, until some of the athletes around their age retired and then they were given more opportunity and then, yeah, they started performing. So that was cool. Yeah. What does can't like, and I think about this in terms of Canada and also the United States is, you know, like what can the countries do or what can the athletes in those countries do to, to match what's happening, you know, in Europe, because they're just such great athletes for cross country skiing. You know, they grew up with it. Can we compete? I mean, we are in, in many races. I mean, certainly there are examples of that, but is there something more that we can do? I think that, a lot of it really is about mindset. I, I found it interesting being part of the Canadian program the last couple of years. Just I've realized that there are so many coaches in the system that have a pretty old school mentality just because they've been around for a really long time. And I think that, you know, people still believe that somehow that women can't train as much as men which blows my mind. I mean, I've mentioned it to some younger girls and they're they're like, wait, but don't men have a different physiology that allows them to train more? And the truth is, is there's no, there's no proof of that. And I know that in Norway, women actually on average train more than men. And it's really more about the individual athlete. And 
your own needs and kind of what's going to make you faster. And so I think that's just an example of how we need to maybe have a bit more of a open mind when it comes to training and how we can change things and how we can become better. Because if we continue just doing what we did 20 years ago, just because it worked then doesn't mean it's going to work now. I think people train a lot more now than they used to in general. And yeah, things have just changed a lot and they're constantly changing. Support makes such a difference. I mean, it's not just the cash money, but it's also, you know, having the time to get the other things that you need, you know, like the proper nutrition and body work and all that stuff. And, you know, if you're working a full-time job, for example, that's not going to happen. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I don't think I could do what I'm doing if I had to work full-time. That's the reality of it, just because not only does training take up time, but it also takes up a lot of energy. So, you know, even if I'm, I'm taking a bit of school part-time, and even that, you know, takes a lot of energy, and it's been going pretty slow in that sense. But it, it's obviously, it's nice to have something else to do. But yeah, having to work full-time is, would be really difficult. And I think that without support, and if I hadn't been supported throughout my career, I don't know if I'd be able to be where I am now. What are you seeing in the younger athletes that, you know, for example, that were on the national team camp? Like, how is their attitude different than it was when you were growing up? Like, are you seeing a, a progress? Definitely. I think that those younger athletes are way more technically good than I was back then, um, huh. which I, I'm not sure if it's maybe more expertise from coaches or whatnot. But um, yeah, generally, I think that they have better technique. I think that other than that, it's probably pretty similar. They're really motivated, which is super cool to see. I mean, I was extremely motivated at that age too, but um yeah, it's, that's really cool to see. And yeah, overall, I think that these athletes are quite talented. So it's it's cool to see. Yeah. You work with two programs, the Classroom Champions and Fast and Female. What, what exactly are you doing with them and, and what are you learning? Yeah, so I've actually got involved with Classroom Champions a couple of years ago. And it's basically a mentorship program. So I'm paired with some classrooms in Canada and sometimes in the States. And every month there's a different topic and I basically film a lesson for them. So say if it's um, one month, it's motivation and or goal setting, and then you film a video explaining what goal setting is. Um, you explain how to set goals. You give an example of goals that you've set and whether you accomplish them and how you dealt with that. Um, and then you give the, the kids like a challenge that has to do with that, that topic. And then I get to do some live chats with them a couple times a year and get to know them. So yeah, that's actually been really rewarding. Um, it's cool to be able to spread um, my love for sports, but also just all the lessons that I've learned from sports and athletics in general. And then with Fast and Female, I just try to participate in events when I can. There's often some events happening in Canmore. So basically, it's just a, um, a program that's meant to encourage girls to stay in sports. And so at these events, uh, there's just different activities, you get to talk to the kids, and they get some swag. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those videos sound really, really cool for the classroom champions. Like, what are you telling them about goals? Yeah, so I'll just explain what the difference is between a long-term goal and a short-term goal. And then, yeah, explain, uh, give like an example for that. So say for me, oh, my short-term goal is to get better at sprinting. And I'm going to do that by doing more speed work with my teammates. Or, um, And then... Yeah, maybe my long-term goal is to finish in the top 20 in a sprint on World Cup. Um, so that would be an example that I could tell the kids and That's amazing. just so that they yeah. can kind of relate to it and understand how, how to set goals themselves. Yeah. Have you gotten good feedback from the kids? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, 
it's really fun. Um, sometimes when I have live chats, they'll, they'll mention things that they've heard in my videos, which is really cool. So it seems like they, they are listening and, <laughs> and are motivated by it. So, yeah. 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 Did you have anybody like that or anything, any programs like that when you were growing up? Not really, but I also had in my club, a lot of older athletes that I got to train with and look up to. So um, I had those types of opportunities and I actually did go, I remember when I went to my first fast and female event, when I went to my first nationals in Whitehorse and yeah, that was really cool. It's only one year to go until the Paris 2024 Olympics and Paralympics. If you love the games, check out Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. Learn more about the games and prepare for Paris with weekly episodes that dig into the sports and the elements that make these the biggest sporting events in the world. You might be surprised with everything that goes into putting on the event. Host Jill and Allison will actually be in Paris during the Paris 2024 Games. And we'll be posting daily Keep the Flame Alive episodes covering all of the day's actions every day. So sign up. Keep listening. Keep the Flame Alive is a weekly show hosted by the fun duo Jill Jarras and Allison Brown. They cover everything fans want to know about the Olympic and Paralympic movements, how sports work, history, host city information, and a ton more. Listen to Keep the Flame Alive on your favorite podcast player or find it at flamealivepod.com. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Kobe Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo Jo. Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network. And now, let's get back to Olympic cross-country skier Catherine Stewart-Jones. So what's next for you? Uh, so I'm actually at home in Canmore for the next month. And then I'm heading home. I'm from Chelsea, Quebec. I'll be heading back home for a little family reunion. And then we have a training camp, a national team training camp out east in Mont-Saint-Anne near Quebec City. And then, yeah, I'll be heading back to Canmore after that and sticking around pretty much until we do, we do a fall altitude camp in Park City, Utah. Um, so I'll do that. And then the season will be starting pretty soon. Will there be snow in Park City? No, it's just roller ski based. Got it. And when does the first racing start? So the first World Cup weekend is the last weekend of November. Oh, okay. Cool. I always, as I mentioned earlier, I always find the off season just such an interesting time period because, you know, as you mentioned, it's when you're going to have the big blocks of time to do the training. Whereas when you're racing, you know, you're traveling so much and you're dealing with all that other stuff and, you know, like trying to stay healthy and whatnot. Yeah, for sure. It's really hard to get in as much training throughout the winter just because we're traveling pretty much every weekend to a new location. And yeah, with racing is obviously exhausting. As you said, the goal is really just to stay healthy throughout the race season. So yeah, and if you can build that fitness and volume throughout the summer, then you're also able to maintain a lot more throughout the winter. If you're racing, we're racing from end of November to end of March with not very much time off between. So yeah, you really have to have a good base if you want to be able to race fast throughout the whole year. Have you learned any secrets or tips or anything like that about staying healthy while you're on the road? Mostly just making sure that you're sleeping a lot. Right. And I think that stress is a huge factor. So trying to reduce that as much as possible. Obviously, that's a little easier said than done. But I think making sure that you're as comfortable as you possibly can be in the environment that you're in. When you go over, like when the racing starts in November, will you stay in Europe for that whole time through March? Well, this year, actually, there's races happening in Canmore, 
oh, that's um, right. World yeah. Cup races. Yeah. So I'll be going home before that. Um, I'll most likely skip the World Cup weekend that's uh, leading into that, um, just to be home for a little longer. But other than that, yeah, I'll be I'll be in Europe the rest of the winter. And when you're there, are you with the national team or are you on your own? Like, where are you living during that time? And like, is it all hotels out of your bag? Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Yeah, we're yeah. traveling with the the team the whole time. Sometimes over Christmas, we'll, you know, rent our own Airbnbs. But generally, yeah, we're with the team. That can be hard living out of, living out of the suitcase. And, you know, like, you know, you go into the hotel room and there's not very much room to put your suitcase down and like stuff is all over the place. Yeah, especially when you have a roommate. Right. It's in a small space. It's it's tough, but I've learned a lot of tricks over the years. I can't go anywhere without my packing cubes. <laughs> right. And and who feeds you? Usually it's the hotel, so either it's a buffet or sometimes it's a sit-down um restaurant style. Is the national team sort of taking care of nutrition or are you, are you dealing with that? Uh, we're dealing with it. It's obviously a lot easier when there's a buffet because you have a lot more options. It's a little tougher when it's uh, sit down and it's a set menu. But yeah, it's kind of it's just what you have to deal with. I know some teams, they'll bring a chef along. But yeah, we just don't have the budget for that. Sure. No. Yeah, I can imagine. And I mean, are you good at nutrition? Yeah, definitely. Like, overall, I think I'm quite good. There's always things to learn. I do travel with some of my own stuff, just like sport drink and recovery drink and yeah, usually trail mix, things like that. Uh, just just so that I have things when I'm, especially like during travel days. But yeah, you just kind of, you get used to it and you can figure out, usually I'll go to the grocery store too um, once in a while and, you know, pick up some some snacks and things like that. Do you like that aspect of, you know, racing, of being away from home? traveling. I mean, I, I understand there's always, as you said, stress about that stuff, but you know, there's also the good stuff. You're seeing different places. Like, how are you seeing that part of being a pro racer? Yeah, overall, I, I, I like it, but obviously it's hard sometimes to be away for such long periods of time. Sometimes I just want to be able to be in the comfort of my home, you know, living out of the suitcase isn't quite the same, but I just love racing honestly. So that's what keeps me going is it's definitely more the racing than it is the traveling because yeah, I mean, we are often going back to the same venues over and over again. So it's not like you're seeing new things necessarily. Right. right. Uh, so you really have to be in it for the love of racing. What do you like about racing? I just love pushing myself and seeing how, how hard I can go and how hard I can push and yeah, I think that's really fun. And I also love the team aspect of skiing. People often don't really think about it, but just traveling with your team and getting to do relays with them, it's a lot of fun. And just like every weekend, I get to, you know, celebrate other people's performances if they have a great day. And that's just, that's a huge part of it. What are you looking forward to most this coming season? I'm actually really looking forward to being on world cup for a whole season i've never done that before just because our team hasn't sent a team for the entire world cup in a long long time so yeah i'm really excited for that and it'll just be a good opportunity to work towards a good overall result which is something i've wanted to do for a while and yeah i'm also really looking forward to the races in canmore racing at home is obviously a really cool opportunity we're you know, two years away from the Olympics. Are you starting to feel that pressure? Is there pressure? Like, are you thinking about that? No, I haven't thought too much about it. I just feel like there's so many other things before I get there. Uh, as I said, I wasn't even sure if I was going to go to the next Olympics. At this point, I think I will. Time just goes by so fast. And it feels like it's, yeah, it's only two years away. So I may as well. And no, I mean, it's not something I am stressed about yet. And to be honest, I, I don't think it'll, I will be that stressed about it just because I've been to it before and I feel like there was so much more hype around it than there needed to be. And now I know what to expect. And it's really just like any other race. Well, I like what you said. There's so many other races during the year that other than the Olympics. 
yeah. And like at the end of the day, I, I really just, I ski because I want to get better and I want to see how fast I can be. And whether that's on World Cup or at the Olympics, it doesn't change anything for me. It's more just, I guess, the exposure, but that's not why I'm doing this. Right. Well, thank you very much. This has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time. Love it. Yeah, thank you. And it's always fun because I like skiing myself, so it's fun to talk to skiers. Yeah, it's the best sport. (laughs) Thank you, Catherine, for being here today to talk about one of my favorite sports, cross-country skiing, and good luck in the next season. And as always, a huge thanks to all of you for listening. It really is true that it's you, the listeners, and your comments and notes that make producing the show worthwhile for me. It's fantastic, of course, to talk to all the incredible women that I do, but it is bringing those conversations to you and having their stories heard that is so important. I'm grateful you're here, so please tell all of your friends. Get them to be listeners. Let me know what you're thinking and wondering about. Email elizabeth at hearhersports.com or connect through socials at hearhersports, and there is a contact page on the website. Find links to what Catherine and I covered in our conversation on the show notes page at hearhersports.com. Hear Her Sports is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts. For more information or to check out other shows on the network, please visit evergreenpodcast.com. I recently discovered the Planted Runner Podcast, which is now on Evergreen. Hosted by Coach Claire Bartholik, each episode focuses on one actionable topic that you can apply to your runs right away. Her recent episode about how to survive hot and humid runs this summer is a must listen. I also love her Mental Strength Minutes, where she shares a cool tip on how to boost your mental strength on any tough run. Check out the Planted Runner podcast and let me know what you think. Find it at theplantedrunner.com. And of course, it's available on your favorite podcast player. It's that time again. Hear Her Sports will be taking its annual late summer break starting next week. There are lots of back episodes to listen to in August, and I will be sharing some other female athlete podcasts in the feed while I'm away. So keep listening, stay tuned, and have a great summer. Until the fall, bye-bye. Women's Running Stories, where we explore the intersection between running and life. Because every woman who is committed to a running journey has a story to tell, and this is where you'll find those stories. I am host and producer Sheree Louise Turner. I'm a 53-year-old runner, and together with original music by musician and runner Cormac O'Regan, we bring these inspirational stories to life. Please join us to fuel your adventures.